Well, as I said, we're starting today our series on the book of Jeremiah, which we've just heard the first chapter from. Now, if you're like me, or as I have been, this idea of doing a, a series on Jeremiah not be a, may not be a particularly exciting prospect for you. Um, I think even if you are a regular and devoted reader of the Bible, many of us would put Jeremiah into the basket of, oh, that's one of those books in the Old Testament that I'll get around to reading sometime, you know, with all the other ayahs, you know, Jeremiah, Zechariah, Zephaniah, Obadiah, Nehemiah, you know, it's one of those things. Um, you know, and I think if I were to do a poll of parts of the Bible people would really be interested in talking about, Jeremiah would probably be somewhere down the bottom. And uh, if you've ever tried to read Jeremiah, you'll know it's a difficult book to understand. It is the longest book in the Bible. Uh, it contains a lot of poetry in it, things that we're not used to reading. It's quite repetitive and it's quite hard to follow at times what's actually supposed to be going on because of the way the book's been edited. And overall, Jeremiah is not an uplifting book, I have to say. <laughs> There's a lot of pain in it, a lot of uh, talk about judgment and the effects of sin. And it's, in a, it's really actually quite a sad book, possibly the saddest book in the entire Bible. So if you're not excited now, you know, I don't know what you, <laughs> you're going to be ever. But um, as I was reflecting on our teaching plan for us this year at St. Mark's and what I think God is leading us to learn as a community, I was, found myself drawn to this book. Uh, and as I read it, it really spoke to me more and more as a word of God for us today. And we've been making the cross of Jesus a kind of overall theme for our church this year, to think more deeply about it and hopefully to understand through that some of the more challenging aspects of our faith. And including what does it mean for the Son of God to die on the cross and why was that necessary? And so I think I wanted to help us understand today why I think Jeremiah is, as part of this, is worth reading for us before we delve into the next 10 weeks when we're going to work through the book together. So we'll think a bit more about Jeremiah, who he is. So firstly, let's think about, yeah, so who was Jeremiah? Where did this book come from that we've started to read? And I'll give you a bit of a short background survey to help you understand the context of this book. So as the reading tells us in the beginning that we heard, Jeremiah was a priest from an area in the nation of Judah called Anatoth which meant that he was one of the people, of course, who helped people with the worship ceremonies as they came to be, to be with God and to spoke, speak to them about how to live as followers of God. And he also spent a lot of his time throughout his life in the city of Jerusalem, where he became known as a prophet, so who is a spiritual leader who has a special message for God's people from him. Now, Jeremiah lived in a very critical time in the history of the nation of Judah. He was, so he lived from about the period of the late 7th century to early 6th century BC. And that was right at the end of the period when there were still kings ruling over the nations of Israel and Judah. We heard about some of them named in that reading. And this is several hundred years after the time of the King David. And over the, over the years, these small nations of Israel and Judah, the people of God that we read about in the Old Testament, had been always surrounded by larger Middle Eastern empires who were threatening to conquer them, to take them over. And by the time Jeremiah was born, the northern kingdom of Israel had been destroyed by the Assyrian Empire in 722 BC. And Judah, the southern kingdom, was still intact, but in Jeremiah's lifetime it was being threatened by the empire of Babylon, a new player on the scene. And so the last kings of Judah, attempted to maintain their, their independence from Babylon through various tactics over the years. But finally, in 587 BC, Jerusalem was destroyed and, by, and conquered by the Babylonian Empire. The city was completely uh, done over and the people of Judah were taken away into exile. 
And that was a devastating time for these people. It's the worst and most significant event to understand in the Old Testament. It shaped God's people and how they thought about things. Um, and it was because it was a time when it seemed like everything that these people believed in and had hoped in had been taken away from them. And so Jeremiah lived and had a ministry, as we read, as a priest and a prophet in Judah for 40 years during this time leading up to the exile and in through into it just after it began. And so his words in his book speak directly into those circumstances. So that's Jeremiah and what he's doing. And so what does this background say to us, I think, about the relevance of Jeremiah for us today? Because I think it does speak to us. So if you want to get into Jeremiah's head, imagine that you're living in a time when almost everyone feels that the world is not going very well. Imagine you're living in a time when people don't trust their political leaders or their religious leaders and they feel they're incompetent or corrupt. Now just imagine... Imagine you're living in a time where there's a growing gap between people who have lots of money and those who don't, and the economy seems like it's going to crash. Uh, imagine you live in a time when you, there's a fear constantly of violence and conflict breaking out around us and nowhere seems safe anymore. Imagine you live in a time when there's a feeling that the future will definitely be worse than it is right now. Well, that's the way things were in the time of the prophet Jeremiah. He lived in a time of decline for his nation when the future looked bleak. And things seem to be going wrong all around him. And as we sort of get the sense, does this might sound familiar to us uh, as an experience? We probably don't have to imagine too much what it's like to feel that way about the world. Now, of course, it depends on your personal circumstances. Uh, but I know that many people do actually feel that if you look at the world, things are not actually looking very positive for our culture and for our world at the moment. Uh, everywhere we turn, we hear about things that seem to say that maybe we're in a time of decline too. In Australia, for instance, we could see most of the institutions of our nation are seriously lacking in credibility and authority at the moment compared to what they used to have. You know, our government seems to be very unstable. How many prime ministers have we had in the last five years? I can't, can't remember. Um, and of course, we're hearing about rampant abuses historically in the church, and a lot of people are very disillusioned with that institution uh, altogether. And you know, royal commissions are happening all the time, and every, th every time we do that, we find that another sector of our society seems to be corrupt, so the banks or anything else like that. Uh, there doesn't really seem to feel, people feel there's a kind of trustworthy centre to our nation anymore. Uh, and then we also, you look overseas and we see nations that we used to think of as being strong, ethical, competent. You know, people like the United States and Britain, they seem to be tearing themselves apart from within, politically and culturally. And globally, we can look around and see the rise of political and religious extremism in many parts of the world. It makes, makes us fear for the peacefulness of our own future. Of course, we've seen an example of that in Sri Lanka this week. Um, and underneath this, uh, many people have a kind of longer-term fear, you know, about the breakdown of the natural environment in which we live and possible ecological catastrophe coming not too far future from things like global warming and that sort of stuff. So, look, I think we do understand that what it's like to feel this way. And it's not even a new feeling, really, for um, our culture. It's been in the background, I think, of Western society for about a century or more. You know, we just commemorated Anzac Day on Thursday. And, and that began with the conflict of the First World War, which was very significant. And after the end of that war, um, the English poet W.B. Yeats, he wrote a famous poem called The Second Coming um, about the feeling that this huge war that they'd just been through had somehow shaken the world up to its core and made everything go sour. So part of the poem, he writes, Turning and turning in the widening gyre, the falcon cannot hear the falconer. Things fall apart 
the centre cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. The blood-dimmed tide is loosed and everywhere the ceremony of innocence is drowned. The best lacked all conviction while the worst are full of passionate intensity. And so this feeling that Yeats had of being in a bad time when things are going from bad to worse, that's the same context that Jeremiah was in. And so within that time, Jeremiah wrestled with the calling that he had from God to speak about those things to his people and to interpret these worst of times for his people and to speak about what God was actually doing in that season when things seemed hopeless for them. So I think Jeremiah, you can see, is an interesting book for us. Uh, as a community of Christians living in this part of the world at this time. And I think also, not just communally, Jeremiah can actually speak to us personally and individually about our own lives. You know, when we go through periods when we are going into decline, when our lives have seemed to be breaking up and our families or our our individual lives are not in a good season as well, I think it has has something to say there too. And Jeremiah gives us an insight onto what God's doing in those times and how do we respond with faith. And so we read in this first chapter about the start of Jeremiah's ministry and his calling by God and the setting up of the shape of his ministry as a prophet. What does it mean for him? And we hear the first word that God gave him when he was a young man in verse 5. God came to him and said, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. As a prophet to the nations. So Jeremiah has a particular calling. It's a big scope. And the calling which unfolds throughout the book, as we'll see as we read it, is to provide a criticism and commentary on the behaviour of his nation and the nations around them, and to show how what's happening to them is part of the story of how God is working in their history. That's what a prophet does in the Bible. We tend to think about prophets as people who predict the future, but, and that can be correct, of course, in some sense, but in the central calling of a prophet in the Bible is actually to interpret the present. They interpret the present. They look at the world as it is now and interpret events according to God's purposes. Um, and that leads at times into predicting what is going to happen in the future if things go on as they are going on now. But mostly the calling of a prophet, like Jeremiah, is to listen carefully to God and to observe carefully the world around and to bring an appropriate message to people on the basis of that today. And so Jeremiah spoke mostly to the people of Judah and to their leaders, but as God says here, he also has a message for the nations around them, particularly the large empires of the Egyptians and the Babylonians. And in Jeremiah's vision, these nations are also part of the drama of this time and what God's doing in amongst it. So Jeremiah's calling as a prophet, we heard then, is initiated by two visions that he has in this first chapter. So firstly, as we read, he sees the branch of an almond tree. It's a bit of a strange image, it's not, it does not explain, but um, we can understand perhaps that in Israel, the almond tree is one that regenerates very quickly after, after winter, quicker than other trees. So it's probably a sign of the season is coming, there's a change coming in the season. And so it's probably a sign for Jeremiah about what his calling is going to be. He's called to be awake, to earlier than other people to what is happening around them and what is coming in the future. He's going to be assigned to his people. And the second vision that he has shows this, what, which is the picture of a, a boiling pot tilting towards his nation from the north. And so this is a picture of the events that are going to come that Jeremiah needs to be awake to. 
From the north, it says, the armies of Babylon are going to pour out over Judah like a tide of boiling water. Or something boiling, anyway. Um, and that's the future threat that shapes Jeremiah's ministry. And his job is to help people understand why this is going to happen and what it will mean for them when it does. And over the next weeks, we're going to explore in more detail these messages that he receives of judgment and what they mean. But I want to see a bigger picture, though, because what God will show Jeremiah over the next 40 years in the visions and words that are collected together in this book is deeper than just a single message about Babylon and what they're going to do. What he shows us is a pattern of history, a pattern of life that I think we can see again and again in nations, in churches, in local communities, in families, and in our own lives. It's a pattern of our failure and how God responds to that failure. And at the heart of this pattern is a propensity that we have to place other things apart from God at the centre of our lives. And so the last verse of the reading we had today says, the Lord says, I will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me, in burning incense to other gods and worshipping what their hands have made. So this central failure, which in the Bible is called idolatry, worshipping something else other than God, Jeremiah says and shows that it has the effect of initiating a downward spiral in the fortunes of our lives and our communities, uh, a period of decline, which is labelled and seen as a judgement from God on us for the, what we, for the way we behave. Um, and this judgement is evident and seen most clearly at the time when our lives and situations decline to the point where things break up, you know, where there's destruction, devastation, fragmentation and loss, like the destruction of Jerusalem. There's no longer seen to be any integrity in things anymore. They've come apart too far. As Yates said, you get to the point where things fall apart and the centre cannot hold. And that point at that time when it seems that things are hopeless. The lowest point for God's people. But at that point, Jeremiah then will show us that this is actually where the grace and the faithfulness of God throughout the time of decline is revealed. And there is an opportunity for people to move on and forward towards restoration and towards a positive cycle of growth and renewal. And so I think this is an overall pattern as we look at Jeremiah that he reveals for our instruction. Um, and it's a pattern we can use to interpret our own lives and the world around us. It was the message, this pattern of decline and renewal and the prophecy of Jeremiah was what enabled the people of Judah to come out of exile again, as we'll see, and look forward to a new future with God. So that's the overall pattern of Jeremiah, but we can hear today what it meant for Jeremiah to be a prophet with this message. He could see ahead of time the reality that disaster was coming on his people, and his job was to warn them and to tell them why it was happening. So Jeremiah was not a happy prophet. He's called the weeping prophet often. Uh, I know that many of us would like to hear words directly from God. Have you ever wished that? God would just speak to you clearly. Well, it happened to Jeremiah, and that experience brought a life of pain <laughs> to him. So careful what you wish for. Um, he was frequently anguished by what he saw and what he heard. And I think of Jeremiah, when I think of him as a character in the Bible, I do like something like Eeyore uh, from the Winnie the Pooh stories, if you want to sort of grip on him. A likeable character. I really I appreciate Jeremiah, but he was a glum person, looking at the world with pessimistic eyes because he was seeing the weight of what was going on. Um, Jeremiah went through a lot, and we'll see, you know, 
He, um, and at, some, at one point, he calls out to God, if you read in chapter 20, verse 7, he says, Lord, you've deceived me. I was deceived. He thought when he was a young man that being a prophet would be a blessed thing. To hear from God would be something that would make you, bring you joy. But for him, it actually meant a lot of pain and sadness, and to the point where he felt, I've been tricked into this role by God that I can't get out of, but I must do it. He says, I must do it. So Jeremiah is not a happy person. But he does have an important message. And so, because it's not the end of the story, this sadness of Jeremiah. It's not the end of the story, however. Now, you know, you may not have read the book of Jeremiah or read it all the way through, but I think you've probably heard a single verse out of it if you've been around the church for a while. I read an article recently saying that it's been found the most commonly quoted Bible verse at the moment, you know, shared on social media and such, is this verse from Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Have you heard that before? Yes. Many people love this verse and cherish the promise that it makes. But for Jeremiah, this promise is part of a much bigger picture. It's this pattern we've seen of our failure, God, um, our people's failure and God's love. And the people of Judah only got to the point of hearing this of being able to hear this promise after many years of experiencing the consequences of their behaviour and their bad decisions. So, unfortunately, Jeremiah himself didn't live to see the restoration uh, and the promises of God that he'd received. But as we'll see, he had the job of passing on this hope to others, that they would see it, uh, to tell them they hadn't been deceived in trusting in God and that he did have a plan for them, for their life and for their future. So I think Jeremiah helps us to understand how God works through those circumstances. He also helps us to understand Jesus himself more deeply. Um, because in his ministry, Jesus did act as a prophet to the nations, very clearly, uh, in very much the same way that Jeremiah did. And of course, that role didn't bring him a great deal of joy either. Um, he spoke to his nation of Judah and to the whole world about our rejection of God and of God's way and the consequences that were coming upon us because of that. And Jesus, of course, went through this painful experience himself of confronting the effects of sin, of our own failure, and taking it upon himself. That's what makes him a bit different to Jeremiah, because he bore this himself on the cross. And I think in the cross of Jesus, we can see the end point of all the patterns of decline and failure in the entire world. You know, Jesus died on the cross because, in a sense, that kind of death and the shame associated with it and the failure that it represents is where our lives and where our world has been headed as we've left God. And the cross then is the place where the judgment of God on us and on the nations is seen most clearly. But, of course, as we have just seen in Easter, the cross is also the place where the plan of God to bless and restore the whole world through Jesus is seen as well. So the cross is also the place of renewal and the beginning of resurrection. So I, we will think this term as well, as well as Jeremiah, think about Jesus, you know, and his fulfilment of these prophecies and promises that God gave to Jeremiah and how he brings those into our age today. So as we start at Jeremiah, I would encourage you just to ask yourselves a few questions and to reflect on this um, prophet and what he has to say. Um, when you look at the world, what do you see at the moment? Do you see things around us in a time of decline or trouble? Is that how you discern the world? Or in your own life, is there, is there, are you in a season when things seem to be heading downhill? Well, in the life and the words of Jeremiah, we learn that in those times of decline, in times of discouragement, in times of failure, 
that's actually part of a pattern that God has marked out ahead of time where his gracious love and compassion can be seen. It's not the end of the story. And out of that time, he is able to bring restoration and renewal and resurrection to a new life of hope on the other side. So I want us to take a walk with Jeremiah, see what he has to say as we go on that journey together. So let me pray as we think about that this morning. Lord, as we look around the world, many times we see a place that seems to be spiralling out of control or at which there is no centre. When we look at our own lives too, there are times when we fail and we fall and decline and things fall apart around us and inside us. And for many of us, that's where we're at today. We pray, Lord, that as we listen to Jeremiah, we thank you that you have spoken into our situations. Yes, with a word of judgment and with a word of caution, but also with a word of hope and that Christ has brought restoration. And we pray as we consider the path that Jeremiah walked, that you would help us to bring our difficult times to you and to learn to hope in the midst of trials. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.